Every day around the world, we have men and women like the Meekers uh, who set out to accomplish a common task. Uh, They've responded to Christ's great commission to go and make disciples, and we get to support them. But was Christ's great commission intended only for them? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to just put your hand up. The ushers will give you one. Uh, We're going to get to our scripture passage a little later on, and it will not be on the screen, so you'll want to have that in front of you. Uh, But just go ahead and put your hand up. Last week, you learned something about me that makes me mad. This week, I want to share with you something else about myself, not something that makes me mad, but something about me that identifies a strong value in me and in my perspective on this ministry that I'm a part of here What I want to talk about this morning is what I call the lost art of apprenticeship. And prayerfully, this characteristic will be obvious as you get to know me in this role as your senior pastor. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ who believes in the mandate of the church. Jesus called his church at that time to take the baton from him in the area of making disciples. And that baton has been handed to us by past generations to carry into the future as we fulfill God's calling for us as individuals and as a church. We are his church, his disciples, and we are to reproduce ourselves, to make disciples, is what it says in Matthew chapter 28. Let me state our mandate this way. We, Chapel Hill Church, are called by Christ Jesus to produce others who will follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And this, of course, is the reasoning behind spending this summer studying the teachings of Christ. Uh, You can't effectively teach what you don't know. And hopefully what this drives us to do is to rethink the word teach and what, what that might have looked like to Jesus and his disciples. Go and make disciples is what the NIV Bible says. Now going back to the King James Version, you'll actually see it stated this way, go you therefore and teach all nations. Teach all nations. And in the margin, it's got the word disciple as synonymous to the word teach. But it still lacks a little bit of clarity, which is why often, uh, as is often the case, we need to take ourselves back to the time when it was written. We need to return to the context in which it was written. Now, this is not going to be an exhaustive study of the word teach, but let me set it up for you this way. Would you teach a fisherman to fish by making him sit in class and study about fishing until his degree was accomplished and then releasing him to fish? Probably not. Wouldn't be a very effective way to accomplish what you're setting out to do. So I believe that there's got to be more to the concept of teaching than we might think. We can easily admit that our experience with teaching may be quite different from the experience of the first century believers. And that's why I want to use the term apprenticeship today. So first, let's get rid of the elephant in the room the billionaire elephant with the bad hair that has destroyed the word apprentice for us. (laughs) This has nothing to do with pointing at pathetic celebrities and saying, you're fired. So try to get Donald Trump out of your head that Donald would not make a very good disciple maker. How did Jesus make disciples? How did Jesus make disciples? Did he have a school that they attended? Did he have an online certificate program? Did he do a speaking tour where he signed Bibles and promoted this new idea called making disciples? How did he turn fishermen into fishers of men? And that is worth slowing down to take a look at. 
Think about all the different aspects of what he did with his disciples during his ministry. First of all, Jesus gave his disciples a vision of what he was looking for. Think about some of the statements that he made to his followers. I will make you fishers of men. That's not a lesson. That's a vision. That's a picture of a product that Jesus desired as his ministry was uh, fulfilled. He called these men, these disciples, to become fishers of men. He referred to his followers as light of the world and salt of the earth. He spoke of us being branches on the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And none of these things logically explained the vision that Jesus had for his disciples. There was no class on fishing for men. It would have just been mistaken for a dating service if there was. But there were these vision statements that got people thinking about what it might look like. And it made sense to a fisherman, at least to the degree that it would cause him to explore things a little further. Jesus also taught his followers. Uh, there's definitely many occasions where Jesus simply taught like a rabbi would. Sometimes in the temple, sometimes not. He taught by the lake, he taught on hillsides, he taught from a boat to a crowd on the shore. He taught wherever he was, he could turn any location into a classroom. And he was often referred to as teacher. He was called that many times. And in our scripture passage today, we're going to hear him proclaim that he made known to his followers everything that his father had taught him. He taught. Jesus also modeled life for his followers. And what an incredible model it was. Only once has there been a sinless life lived. And it was his. He modeled decision-making, prioritizing, discernment, wisdom, acceptance, love, forgiveness, mercy, and so much more. He set the standard, and 2,000 years later, we do not have the option of making any life but his the standard for our own. Jesus also gave his disciples hands-on experience. Uh, remember his response to the disciples when they informed him that the masses were hungry? You feed them, he said. Uh, what an opportunity that was. They weren't ready at the time, but later in their story, we do see his disciples casting out demons. Well, their mentor, Jesus, was still around. They were learning by experience. Jesus also helped them when they needed it. And even though they weren't progressing at the rate that they probably should have been, Jesus did not leave them on their own to get out of difficult situations. And when they were certain that they were going to die in the storm on the lake, I'm sure they were thankful that he was still willing to help. Um, anybody cry out for help during the storms last night? It just about felt like that. We're about five minutes from Jordan, which was continuously on that map last night as things just sort of spun right there. And uh, we just kept going, come on, move on. Go hit Egan. <laughs> I'm sure that they were, they were very thankful. His disciples were very thankful that he was willing to help them. He helped them in many, many ways. Jesus also let his followers into every area of his life. And you can see by now just how different this form of teaching is um, than what we think of when we think of teaching. The disciples saw Jesus cry. They saw him angry. They saw him celebrate. They saw him hurt. And there was clearly more to learn from him than just what to believe and how to act. There was a character to be transferred in the learning process. Jesus was open. He was transparent with his followers. Jesus also challenged his followers now that challenge began with a simple statement that we looked at several weeks ago. Follow me, he said. 
Take up your cross daily, he said. Leave behind family, wealth, career, everything. Walk this dangerous road with me. Stand up to the criticism and the persecution with me. Die with me. He told them it would be challenging, and he gave them the choice to follow or to follow, fall away. And 11 of the 12 rose to the challenge and followed in spite of the challenges. Jesus had expectations of his disciples. He expected the level of faith for his disciples to be high. He expected the level of morality and character of his disciples to be high. In the garden, while Jesus pleaded with his father to take from him the cup that he would have to drink, he expected his disciples to have a sense of what, would, what was happening that evening. At the very least, he expected them to stay awake. But Jesus never settled for good enough, faithful enough, obedient enough in his disciples. He had high expectations of them. And Jesus corrected and rebuked his disciples. Statements like, stop doubting and believe, and oh, you of little faith, probably hurt, but they were necessary. Or can you imagine being a close friend of Jesus and hearing him say to you, get behind me, Satan. It was not easy for his disciples. They were sharpened, disciplined, and shaped during their time with Jesus. But that process had an eternal effect. Now hopefully you're seeing a much broader definition of the word teach as we look at the subject of making disciples. And that's why the term apprenticeship means so much more to me in the context of disciple making. I believe it was a new concept for the people in Christ's time as well. Disciple making happened in the synagogue before Jesus Learning about your faith had become a very academic experience, driven by rituals and rules and regulations, and along comes this new experience in Christ, coupled with this new way that he modeled. And may God forgive us for having taken that model and reduced disciple-making again to an academic pursuit based on knowledge and performance. How have we missed something so obvious? So what then do we do to become this kind of disciple maker? We're to reproduce disciples. This is not just an option for those who are so gifted. It's a mandate for the church of Jesus Christ. How do we carry out this mandate? Well, I want to touch on two things with you this morning. There are many, many more things, but at least, let's at least get started on this journey together. How do we become disciple makers? How does the process of apprenticeship that Jesus established for the rest of time become the mandate for our own lives? The first of these two things is this. Realize and engage the reality that you are already a qualified disciple maker. You have what it takes to reproduce disciples. You do not need to discover whether or not you are a disciple maker. You already are. You may not feel like one. You may not think you're qualified to be one. You may not be able to list your experience in this line of work. You may think that you do not have the confidence to be one. You may believe that you do not have the gifting to be one. But folks, gifting is about what kind of disciple maker you are, not about whether or not you are a disciple maker. God has already given you the two most powerful tools that you need as a disciple maker. He's already equipped you to do what he's calling you to do. Do you believe this? Can you imagine what those two things are? Well, the first one is your testimony. 
your story. That's the first tool that you have. The story of God's grace in your life is packed with power. Testimony is easily one of the most powerful change agents in the world. Now, I know the resistance that shows up here, but my testimony is boring. So here's my response to that feeling, which is a feeling I have had myself many times in my life. Is God's grace boring? Your testimony is not about your experience. It's about God's grace, and his grace is never boring. God wants to use that story, his story. And we'll talk more in days to come about giving him the chance to use that story to touch someone else's life. The second tool, one, of us, one that all of us possess, is your life. Nothing speaks louder in whole life apprenticeship than the life of the one who is apprenticing or discipling another. Jesus' life was observed by all those that he discipled. Now his desire is to continue to model that life through each one of us. He wants to model his life through me. He wants to model his life through you. And since the standard, the life of Christ, is still the standard, we can't allow ourselves to get caught up thinking that our lives are not reflecting that standard, so clearly God can't use us to do this. The term Christ in me needs to be on our minds 24-7. It's Christ's life by the power of his spirit that he's going to use to bring others along in the disciple-making process. And I have to make that personal to really understand it because I'm, I'm often concerned about my own life and the shortcomings that exist there, uh, especially as a senior pastor now. Uh, I caught myself thinking the other day that I have to drive differently now that I'm a pastor in this area. <laughs> what will people think if they see me roll through a stop sign and find out that I'm the pastor of Chapel Hill Church? So I need to look back at where I've come from instead of at who I am Um, Think of a person in your life who has really impacted you in the area of your own uh, growth as a disciple. Get that person in your head right now. Uh, I'm going to use my dad as an example from my life. I was told one day long ago by some self-righteous nitwit that my father was hindering my spiritual growth. What I wanted to do to that guy at that moment uh, certainly would have ruled out me ever becoming your senior pastor... My dad's life has been very instrumental in my faith walk. My dad's faults have not in any way hindered my growth. Why? Because he's perfect? No. It's because I've seen Christ in him and I've been changed forever by the spirit of Christ demonstrating the life of Christ in somebody else's life. So can God do that through you? Of course he can. Of course he can. Your life is a very powerful tool in the process of disciple making. So acknowledge that you are already a qualified disciple maker. Second step in becoming a Christ-like disciple maker is sharpening your skills as a disciple maker. Every apprentice, no matter what the field of expertise, has to be continually growing in their area of expertise to apprentice others. They may be naturally gifted in this area, but they all want to grow in their abilities. And let me put it in silly terms. If you want to be a world-class chef, who are you going to study from? Wolfgang Puck, a world-renowned elite chef, 
or the 16-year-old fry guy at McDonald's. Now, both can cook. Both can provide an apprenticeship in cooking. But who would you choose to learn from? So the principle here is that we need to be selective about who we turn to to sharpen our skills as disciple-makers. And what we need to do is to be good apprentices ourselves in order to be better disciple-makers of others. And why not apprentice under the best? Jesus himself described what he thought a good apprentice looks like, and so here we are, back at the need to examine the teachings of Jesus Christ. He can see the product of apprenticeship. He can see what it looks like for him to be demonstrating his own life through the lives of others. So now let's get into the Word for a while. Let's look at Jesus' apprenticeship program from the book of John, chapter 15. Turn to John, chapter 15. Once again, we only have time to get an incomplete picture today. Never mind what Paul wrote about the description of a Christ apprentice. Never mind what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have to say from their observations and the teachings of Christ in those books. We're going to look at one small but very good sample. In John chapter 15, verses 7 to 17, Jesus says a lot about what a good apprentice looks like. So that's what we're going to read. John 15, beginning at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now look at the characteristics of a Christ apprentice in that one little passage. A disciple remains in Christ out of verses 7, 9, and 10. Verse 8, it talks about a disciple glorifying God. Verse 8 and 16, a disciple bears fruit. Verse 10, a disciple is obedient. Verse 11, a disciple has joy. Verses 12, 13, and 17, a disciple loves as Christ loves. Verse 14, a disciple is a friend of Christ. Verse 15, a disciple learns from Christ. One passage from the teachings of Christ, 11 verses, Eight characteristics of an apprentice, right there. And in case we're, not, uh, we're still not interested in becoming that kind of an apprentice, Jesus throws in some incentive. Do this, he says, and God will give you whatever you ask for in my name. You can see for yourselves that um, these kinds of things are learned through a process that's got to be a little bit different than just sitting in a classroom doing a study. I'm going to do what I can in the years ahead to help equip you in this process. And so one of my privileges as your pastor 
But the real transformation in your life is gonna take place as you become an intentional, devoted, passionate apprentice of Jesus Christ. One of Jesus' disciples was a guy named Andrew. The, tradition sto- uh, the traditional story that surrounds the death of this disciple demonstrates for us once again the goal, the end product of the Jesus Apprenticeship Program. Andrew was not a public figure. His, uh, he didn't really fit the description of what we think a disciple maker might look like. His life is not recorded and laid out in the, in the words of the Bible for us. But Eusebius, the historian, says that Andrew was crucified in southern Greece. And an account of his death says that he led the wife of a Roman governor to Christ, and that event infuriated her husband. The emperor demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Christ, but she refused. And so he had Andrew crucified. By the governor's orders, Andrew was tied to the cross instead of being nailed to the cross. It was intended to prolong his suffering. And by most accounts, he hung on the cross for two days. And for those two days, he filled his painful hours calling out to those who passed by for them to follow Jesus Christ. To the very end, we are called to be disciple makers, to apprentice others in what it means to follow Jesus. Those whom Jesus has called into this life um, have gone on to call others into the apprenticeship life. How? Through the power of the one who lives within us, transforming us into the likeness of his son. Are you a fan of the apprentice? Try being an apprentice and an apprentice maker. Answer the calling of Christ on your life. Let's pray and then uh, we'll take our offering for the morning. Father, I thank you again for your word, for the richness of your word. And I thank you that it had a purpose, not to make us smarter, not just to comfort us or inspire us, but to make us better disciple makers. Father, you have given us a mandate as your church to make disciples. And we are asking that you equip us for that task. I'm asking, Father, that every single one of us takes that up as our own calling, realizing that we are qualified because it's you in us that produces results, not us. So help each one of us, Lord, to find our place in that. Help us to come to you and say, yes, Lord, I am available. Everything that you've poured into me, I give back to you so that you can bring others to yourself. I know, Lord, it's gonna look different for every one of us, but we are your disciples, and the goal of discipleship is to reproduce. And we're asking that you would help us to do that. Help us to become the kind of passionate, devoted followers of Jesus Christ that have just an an infectious effect on this world. Help us to spread your light everywhere we go, to defend your word at every opportunity, 
to be what you have called us to be. And I thank you that you have made all the necessary tools available to us. Guide us as we move forward as a church. We need your blessing in this as we fulfill your mandate for the church to go and make disciples. Thank you for those like the Meekers and so many others that are out there doing this in other parts of the world where they don't have the luxury of churches in in every community. Help us to realize that that doesn't get us off the hook, but it calls us into a different type of disciple making. Thank you for making us your disciples, for calling us your friends, for sharing your life with us. And thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.